Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome to Atlanta Business Radio. This is Lee Cantor with Stone Payton. This is going to be our, uh, what is it, Stone? This is our second round at ATDC Radio? Yeah, it's a real deal now. We're hitting our stride. This thing is happening, and uh, folks can listen in, of course, at uh, atdcradio.com. This is going to be a fantastic segment uh, getting today started. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast, first off, Director with GTRC, the Georgia Tech Research Corporation, Mr. Terry Bray. How are you, man? I'm doing well. Thanks. Happy to be here. Well, Terry, before we get too far into things, can you share a little bit about GTRC? How are you serving folks? Sure. So Georgia Tech Research Corporation is a separate legal entity from Georgia Tech. Uh, we basically are a supporting organization that acts as the contracting arm. So any monies from sponsors who want to fund projects to be uh, done at Georgia Tech, that comes through GTRC. And conversely, any intellectual property, things we might patent or copyright that comes from the research activities is assigned to and owned by GTRC. And then that falls within my group, and we manage all that intellectual property. And we uh, try to find companies or entrepreneurs who want to start companies to take those technologies and do all the things you have to do to bring it to market. Now, how long has this been going on? Uh, GTRC has been around about 80 years, so it's, oh, it's wow. been around uh, quite a while. It's had a couple different name changes, but it's been doing what it does for, for quite some time. The uh, uh, technology licensing group has been around uh, a bit less than that, probably 20, 25 years, I think, maybe maybe a little more than that. But um, it's been around um, a, a few decades and uh, has established itself as, as, I think, one of the uh, better, if not best, uh, tech transfer operations in the country, and I'm, I'm happy to be uh, leading it at this time. Now, uh, what's the volume of uh, licensing that goes on? Uh, well, I'll give you a couple different metrics. So we, we are a pretty high-volume operation. We, we typically see uh, more than 300 invention disclosures a year. In our last fiscal year, this ended in June, we saw 325. Uh, we typically will transfer uh, 50 to 60 technologies a year, plus or minus, just depending upon the year. Uh, we'll do you know several dozen license agreements uh, to get those technologies into the hands of, of someone in industry. Now, walk me through the process. Is it something that the professors are driving? Is it students? They like start the process. So the, pr the professor or the student, if they happen to be an inventor, they uh, fill out what we call an invention disclosure form. Um, uh, it's an electronic disclosure on our website. That automatically populates a database that we use for managing all the different things we do. Uh, it then gets assigned to someone on my team. I have a, a team of six licensing folks, and uh, they do an evaluation of it for various criteria. Uh, sort of technical uh, significance and merit, uh, what is the market opportunity, where could this technology potentially be deployed as a product or service, um, what does the patent landscape look like, is there prior art that would be problematic in uh, seeking a patent with reasonably broad claims or having the ability to practice the patent that might issue from that. And then uh, we, we have a marketing team that works with us to uh, promote the technologies and identify companies or an entrepreneur to uh, who may have an interest in it, and then the uh, licensed professional on my team will negotiate the legal contract, which is called a license agreement, um, to transfer those rights to the company so they can actually take it and commercialize it. So you're kind of the matchmaker? Uh, of sorts, yes. That, that's a good way to describe it. And then um, is it a lot of times you have the technology and you're, for the first time, the companies you're approaching are hearing about anything like this? Uh, yes, quite often it is, particularly if it's uh, a sort of disruptive or really novel technology that mm -hmm. may 
uh, even create a new market uh, sector. And other technologies are more incremental improvements, but they still have market significance. They add a significant feature or maybe make things better, faster, cheaper of an existing product. So they, they still have a lot of attractiveness to companies in the marketplace. Now, technologies in your name, uh, how, are, how broad is uh, when you're defining technology, like what kind of industries? Because now it seems like technology touches all industries. Uh, it does. I mean, we, we have a lot of very interdisciplinary research going on at Georgia Tech. And, you know, my, uh, my group manages intellectual property for the entirety of Georgia Tech. So anything that comes out of research at Georgia Tech is, is ultimately something that my group manages. Uh, we are, I think, legitimately known primarily as an engineering school, so a lot of our technologies are engineering-related, device-related, materials-related. Uh, we do have a meaningful portfolio in, the, in life sciences, though, a lot out of our biomedical engineering program. Some of that is actually jointly owned with Emory because that's a joint program with them. Uh, but so our technologies sort of span the gamut of, of almost any market sector you can think of. Now, are, is any of the licensed stuff that you've done, is it recognizable? Are there name brands that are associated, or is this kind of a B2B kind of work that's Well, there's, there's a lot of B2B. There's a lot of B2C as well. Um, I, don't, I don't know that we have a well-established brand mm -hmm. like a Coca-Cola or anything at this point, but, but certainly we have a, a number of technologies, you know, a few hundred probably at this point, that are uh, actually several hundred that are uh, actively in the marketplace mm -hmm. and have their, their own niche. Now, do you do also work with the government? Um, primarily on um, monies coming in. So when they're, you know, if National Science Foundation or National Institute of Health is funding a project, that typically is, is how we interact with them a lot. Uh, also, do, we do a lot of uh, DOD research. Um, you know, if the government sponsors a research project from which an invention comes, we, the government does have rights to use that invention if they want. So we do have communication with them from that perspective. Now, what about the film industry? That's kind of a, a burgeoning industry here in Atlanta over the last 10 years or so. Or is there involvement there? We don't do a lot with that because um, most of that is going to fall under copyright uh, law. I didn't know if the virtual reality or any of that. Um, I don't think we've had much, if any, of that transferred to the film industry yet. But certainly we have a lot of activity in, in uh, virtual reality and artificial intelligence. And some of that may ultimately find its home in, those, uh, in that sector. Now, what's your backstory? How did you get involved in this line of work? Uh, well, it, it, you know, everyone sort of takes a circuitous route. So I started out my career as a researcher, and I uh, was a faculty member in biomedical engineering. I did that for 15 years and was an inventor. At Georgia Tech? No, I was or at the University either. of Alabama at Birmingham. Mm -hmm. And I was an inventor on several things we commercialized. And as I did that over and over, I just uh, got really interested in the business side of science, and my, my interest sort of drifted over the years. So um, after my uh, after a 15 year stint at UAB, I decided to get into tech transfer, um, and uh, had my first tech transfer job at North Carolina State University as a frontline licensing associate, and then um, just worked my way up from there to uh, to where I am now. Uh, was at NC State for a little under six years, went back to UAB and their research foundation, which is their tech transfer arm, um, and, and did. Uh, licensing there for about three years, then got recruited for an industry position, which I did for about a year. So I actually was in licensing things from universities. So I was on the other side so of the So you're the other side. So, yeah. So, so you was, have a 360 view of this. Uh, yeah, I do. And then, um, so I, I left that position, got recruited for the job I have now, and I've been here, um, will be actually three years on the 18th. So. Mm -hmm. And then um, what's the most rewarding part of your job? Uh, just the, the most rewarding part is, is when we get a license agreement executed, and this technology that came from someone's creativity, someone's 
hard work in the lab, we actually have put it in the hands of a company that hopefully is going to turn that into something that ultimately is going to benefit the public good. Because mm -hmm. that's ultimately what we're about is seeing the technologies that are created at Georgia Tech utilized in the public. Now, does Georgia Tech use this um, arm? I guess it's not, you're not directly affiliated, but you're working with Georgia Tech mm -hmm. intimately. Is it a recruiting tool for them in, in terms of getting students that this is this process is kind of fully baked, been around a long time, and then this helps get their ideas to market? I think it absolutely is. I think it's a great um, asset that Georgia Tech can point to when they're recruiting faculty and students because, you know, even today even more so than when I was coming through uh, students are very entrepreneurial faculty are very entrepreneurial so if they see that you have a robust tech transfer operation that's really a, an attractive, that's attractive it's right? very attractive now um, how does the ATDC fit into this equation so uh, ATDC is a small business um, sort of incubator it provides physical space for startup companies they don't have to be um, affiliated with Georgia Tech per se but certainly a lot of our startup companies that come from intellectual property we own they they take space here mm -hmm. um so it's it's a, a great asset um another affiliated asset to georgia tech that folks can can utilize because then it they have the idea they can see if there's a market for it and then they can actually house the business somewhere and, right. and get all the help from all these resources right. atdc uh, provides actual physical space whether it's office space or otherwise and they have other support services that help companies that make it very affordable particularly early stage companies quite often don't have a lot of money so they want to be very efficient in how they utilize whatever resources they, they do have and then they give them kind of an infrastructure and kind of um a lot of relationships that they probably couldn't have done on their own. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's another big uh, asset to being in a facility like ATDC is you have a lot of peer companies that are in, sort of in the same boat you are. Some are more mature than you are, and you can uh, have uh, you know, conversations over a cup of coffee in the hallway and, and share ideas and learn things from each other that, that ultimately will help these companies succeed. And then for uh, now for your work, they have to be Georgia Tech companies in to, order to work with your group? Um, well, the, the, the intellectual property we um, have in our portfolio comes from Georgia 100%. Tech. 100%. Yeah, 100% is Georgia Tech. We don't uh -huh. work with outside. We don't take intellectual property that we don't have an ownership interest in. Right. So they're all Georgia Tech uh, folks that right. are coming to you to help them license their work. That's right. So they, they, uh, they give us the ideas. They give us the inventions. Um, and then at that point, once they tell us about what they've come up with, then uh, we go through the process I discussed earlier, and then uh, hopefully we find uh, a, match for, a match for that out in the marketplace, a company or an entrepreneur who wants to license that technology and move it forward. Now, does it ever work the other way where the company goes to you and says, hey, you know, we're working in this area. Do you have anybody else that's working in this oh, area? Oh, absolutely. We have strong relationships with companies. We are, are quite active in trying to um, meet new companies, build relationships with companies. We do have companies approach us with some frequency, and they come to us and say, hey, we... Um, are in this uh, market sector or we want to get into this market sector, we, we'd like to see what kind of technologies you have that might be a good fit. Mm -hmm. And um, in, in most of those cases, we do what, what I call our BOLO program. So it's a be on the lookout. So we'll develop a BOLO sheet around the technology needs and areas of interest that the company has. When we get a new invention disclosure in that might be a match, we notify them and let them know. And hey, then you tell like the professors, hey, keep your eye open for people working on this or maybe if, if they're working tangentially they may want to kind of pivot over to this area because they have a built-in customer 
Um, well, not, not so much. I mean, universities, you have academic freedom, so we, we uh, absolutely do not tell professors what right. research they need to do. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm not saying they need to do it. Just say there's an opportunity here. These people are looking for something in this area. Right. So in those, yeah, in those, uh, the, the other aspect that companies quite often come to us is they have a particular technology problem they need solved. Right. And they either have identified a professor at Georgia Tech or they do come to us and say, hey, we have this problem to be solved. Do you know of a professor who might right. help us do it? Right. I'm not saying you mandate, hey, now do this, but you just make them aware, hey, there's right. this, there's an opportunity here. You might want to. No, absolutely. We work very closely with industry. So in, in the last fiscal year, we did about $850 million in research expenditures at Georgia Tech. About $125 million of that was funded by industry, which is about 14% of our overall budget, which grossly overperforms. It's about twice the national average of what really? most universities do. So at other universities, it's not that high? No, not nearly that high. We definitely uh, uh, outperform most other universities. In Why the do percent. you think that is? Um, I think it's because we have extraordinarily bright faculty and students at Georgia Tech. They're doing cutting-edge research in a, in a number of different areas. Uh, we also, you know, know how to work with industry. We know how to have fair agreements. We mm -hmm. can get agreements done very quickly that make sense for both sides. And it's a great value for the companies to, to work with us in, in a lot of cases. Now, uh, who'd you bring with you today? Um, well, mm -hmm. I just brought myself, but I do have one of our licensees <laughs> right. who uh, I'll, I'll let you introduce. All right. Yeah. Uh, welcome, Finn Finley, and you're with Quest Renewables? That's right. Uh, I'm the CEO of Quest Renewables. Uh, we manufacture a solar racking system for commercial size uh, solar arrays, which is typically uh, a thousand panels and up, mm -hmm. um, somewhere between the thousand panels and then the you know giant ones you see in the desert. We don't do those. We do sort of the in-between size. Uh, and we license technology through GTRC that was developed actually by the government um, as part of the Department of Energy Sunshot program. And that was a three-year research project. Um, a number of pieces of technology came out of that that were available for licensing. Now, how did it get on your radar? Um, for me, um, I've been, uh, I worked for Coke for almost 20 years and um, had actually done an MBA in entrepreneurship uh, during that time and had wanted to start a company. So I'd either owned companies or invested in companies or uh, advised companies in the last 10 years or so I was at Coke. And then this opportunity came along, just kind of looking out at the Georgia Tech website. It's really well organized and easy to so see. So you were just browsing the website? Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I had somebody you know, who said, you know, that knew I was looking. This says, hey, you know, there's some interesting stuff out there. You got to go take a look. And that's how I ended up kind of looking at it. And then you're, you had experience in solar before? None. So no. I'd seen the sun. <laughs> You'd seen <laughs> the sun. Yeah, that's about you it. You like the beach. Yeah, right, right. Uh, um, no, I think what, what happened for me anyway was looking at it and saying, okay, um, here's this product that uh, what I had done is a lot of commercialization, so just rolling things out into the marketplace mm -hmm. that Coke had and helped develop a process for doing that. Uh, and this was a product that really needed commercialization. So the solar problem, like there were plenty of solar experts involved. The researchers really knew what they were doing. Right. I could connect up and get people from the industry. Um, in fact, some folks from industry were already involved in the research, so I knew it was grounded in a, a real customer need. And so then the problem I was going to solve was getting it from kind of a disclosure through patent and get it into the marketplace, figure out where our uh, best places to perform are and where we could leverage the technology. And then so you, but just by browsing the w website and doing kind of your due mm -hmm. diligence right. on it, then you saw that there was a fit elsewhere and a business could be built around Yeah, it. yeah. It was more, you know, as a business person looking at it outside, I mean, you know, really to say it, 
I had a friend of mine who said, oh, there's a solar one that looks interesting, but there's a lot of other stuff there. So I went and looked at There were about 600 at the time. Right. I was so that's there. like overwhelming. I know, just that, that. About what there is now, about 600? Uh, maybe a little less than that, but it's, it's many hundreds. It's a lot. <laughs> and, and so when I went and I looked, and, I, and I, I, um, I'm a liberal arts major, so none of these titles made sense to me. Very right. few of them. Uh, it appeared to be about a third of them made supersonic things go faster. Uh, about a third of them. <laughs> and that didn't interest you. <laughs> I just didn't know what the titles yeah. were. Um, the, actually, I thought they were really interesting. I just knew I didn't know what they were. About a third of them were things that seemed to make biology function better. Uh, and then there was about a third of them that I was like, oh, I think I understand the title of these. And then it turned out as I read the abstracts, I really understood the title of about a third of them. Right. Um, but they're really cool topics, and you know, what I was looking at it from was really what business problem needed to be solved. So there mm-hmm. were a number that really had that same dynamic. So you narrowed it down. Yeah, it was, wasn't just one. Yeah, and no, I mean, I really started. Yeah, and worked my way down, and then really the next step was meeting the inventors and the team there, and understanding how much customer diligence was done on this um, to know they they really had built. A how product. many did you narrow it down to? Oh, ten or so. So uh, it, mm-hmm. you were solar, and what were the other industries? Oh, gosh, I, I don't even remember. Um, was it ever down to two, where it was like... No, it, no, this one pretty much stood, stood out right out. away. Yeah. So then yeah. once you got kind of were focused on this, you kind of left yeah. the others behind. Yeah, and, it was easy, pretty right. easy. Just, I don't even know. I got through my like top, top 10 list and found this one, talked to folks enough, and I was like, yeah, this is oh, great. This, this is the is one. A, this is a problem to go solve. Yeah. And then, so then uh, you talked to the folks behind it, right? Yep. And then you learned more what they were thinking, how they saw it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of what they had done from uh, just understanding the problem they were trying to solve. And it had mm-hmm. been very, I think, customer centric. They spent a lot of time with big customers. And one of the things that was neat about that was because they're doing it for research, they could go talk to major players that, uh, you know, it would have been hard for somebody you. else. Right. Even somebody in the industry would have a hard time right. making the connections to talk to such a breadth of customers to know what needed to be done. Um, and so that was really um, what what was interesting for me as somebody coming from the outside. Now, when you were doing it, um, I think off air, Terry mentioned that sometimes these are exclusive, sometimes they're non-exclusive. What uh-huh. was this? This one was uh, some of it is uh, shared with another um, solar company. Um, it, you know, it's interesting because uh, you know uh, Terry alluded to the conversation about kind of the way these patents have started to come out was. I don't know how long ago Baydol came out, but that was... 1980. 1980. Okay, so 1980. Um, for, for a long time, research, all the patents went to the government, and the government had a ton of patents, didn't know... What to do. With they them. were like, hey, there's probably a lot of things we could be good for the economy and taxes, and, you know, we're sitting on them. Um, it kind of reminds me of in Indiana Jones when they put the Ark of the Covenant right, in a exactly. giant warehouse, and you don't know where anything is. Right. It was like, that must be all the patents. Um, That's exactly what they do with them. Yeah, and so they, they basically put them in the hands of the universities and said, well, if we're giving you funding, we want you to also be responsible for trying to commercialize these. Um, and I think Georgia Tech has done a really good job of pushing that hard in terms mm-hmm. of not just saying, well, sure, we'll put them out and put them on a website. They do a very good job of making folks uh, aware of what's available. And they're um, looking to yeah. make deals. They're not making yeah. it cumbersome. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that kind of surprised me when I when I did this, I was used to negotiating, you know, with um, a, a chain of convenience stores or a chain of supermarkets right. on behalf of mm-hmm. Coke, which was a kind of a like, um, you know, how much is it going to cost? What am I going to get conversation? Whereas I think it's a m- much more multidimensional set of considerations and licensing. Um, you've got, um, it's not, you know, like how do we maximize every last penny we can get from Quest? It's 
how do we structure a license that is going to enable you guys to be commercially successful to let you go? Right, they're kind of watching your back a little bit. Yeah, I mean, they have an, we have aligned, much more aligned interests than right. you, you might anticipate going forward, um, which is which is really helpful. It also means that I think a lot of the agreements are very different from one another based mm-hmm. on what the needs are um, from a commercial from a commercialization standpoint. So um, it, it's an interesting, like, I mean we had an idea of what we wanted, but then we got suggestions that were actually very helpful. Like, well, you could do it this way, you know? Um, and that really helped us, you know, manage our risk, but also increase our chances of being successful. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think there's, um, and Terry, I mean, like, if you think, I, th- I think like the professors uh, have some, you know, interest in, you know, like they'll see whether they think it's got legs. I think the, um, there are, you know, opportunities for visibility for the university for you know having the technology be successful right. etc there's a lot everybody more to wins it. right there's right. a lot more to it than just like how much money are we going to change hands for the license right um and so i think we found that to be a, a really good process once we understood it and then once the license occurs and now you have the license is it something like can you still reach out to them are they still helpful or is it like well it's now your problem yeah, that was like too bad, guys. No, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, actually, we've had um, we did a little bit of like the industry research that that Terry was speaking of. We did that actually. We we hired some of the team back and some new people in to take a look at some some other opportunities we had identified to do some research on our behalf, mm-hmm. um, which was then shared by Georgia Tech and us um, to the extent that IP was developed, um, and then and so we leveraged it that way. But we also have like folks that are just, I mean, you get folks that really care about right. uh, in the research, the product actually seeing the light of day and making a difference. And so like we've literally had like a structure we were putting up and it wasn't performing the way we thought. And we called one of the professors that had worked on it like on a Friday and said, hey, you know, can you give us some advice on this? And he said, all right, I'll meet you at the site on Monday morning. And he came on Monday morning and it turned out that two or three former students of his were working for us at the time. And it was very funny because they all got like in a line, like they were reporting back to school. And he's like, all right, so tell me what you're seeing. And everybody kind of went through their observations and he said, okay. All right. And then he, he basically like got out and um, looked around. Then he like lay down on the ground to look at how the system was like, it's weird to see this professor just like lying there on the ground looking at this thing. And then he gets up and he goes, okay, here's what I think is happening based on what you've said. And you've said, here's what I think we should, we should try. And this was like he like banged the side of it. Yeah, it, it was more or less like pick it up and put it back down. I think it'll straighten out. And um, we all kind of thought that might work, but we didn't have like the breadth of knowledge and expertise he did to be like, yeah, that, that should do it. Um, yeah, it was more or less that like you know, hit control alt delete, it should work. Um, and um, but but that was like not under any contract or obligation. Right. It was just like, hey, you know, Doctor Gentry, you know, right. can you help us out? We we, we can't. We're stumped. And uh, so he came over. So he saved the day. Yeah, he did. And it was, it was, but it was really funny for me to watch these former students like click right Right. back into student mode and like give this like very formal report. And uh, but it it was great. Behave differently with the teacher. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I knew where the respect actually lies. Um, So now for you, what stage are you at? So you license the thing, Mm -hmm. and then how long has it been? And and yeah, so we licensed it, and I think twenty fifteen we licensed. two technologies um 
One we've got basically built uh, all over the East Coast, a little bit out on the West Coast. Um, so, it, so everything's we're building lots of projects as using you plan technology. Oh, totally as we planned, right? <laughs> like any startup. Right. Uh, no, um, it's been straight line. It's been really good, and I mean, so we actually licensed the technology before it was uh, patented. So we helped with the prosecution of the patents, which mm -hmm. I think maybe is. I don't know if that's totally unusual. I don't think it's totally unusual. No, no. Yeah. I mean, most of the technologies that when we license them, the patents haven't issued yet. We've yeah. just filed them. And, yeah. and certainly when there's an exclusive license executed, we always allow the licensee to be part of that uh, yeah. patent prosecution yeah. process. Yeah. So we, we basically did that. And then um, from that, developed further improvements along the way. Uh, so I think we helped get three or four patents through. And then we have another four that we've developed on future improve, further improvements of the technology. So and we got like another nine provisional. I mean, we're kind of a patent making machine. <laughs> um, we're starting to get picky about what we, we really do and don't do from a patent standpoint because we've gotten enough. But it's, it is actually one, one of the things that it did is it gave us a lot of ground, like kind of groundwork for understanding how to do that process because right. I've never prosecuted a patent before. Uh, overseeing, it's really overseeing the patent prosecution process um, it's kind of my role, and having not done that, it was great to work with GTRC to understand how. And they're worked. helping you along the way because it's also in their best interest. Well, I think at this point it was more of a learning experience mm -hmm. from them, and then we're able to kind of do it on our own. So we continue to communicate what our business results are around the technology we licensed, um, and that's really the that relationship. Then ATDC kind of picks up from there. Actually, Venture Lab picks up for Georgia Tech Technology, and right. they're kind of an advocate, and then ATDC comes in, and I think. Uh, and in, in addition to what Terry mentioned about the the facilities, um, and I think there's a lot of really good like educational work that gets done. Um, so things that you, you know, if you're trying to raise money, there's courses on how to go raise money. Right. There's courses on all of that. Um, and then there's also um, the ability just to talk to other people starting companies is really, really valuable. And it doesn't occur to you until you know 12 of them and you're like, hey, I have this strange problem I can't figure out. Has anybody dealt with this? And three people go, yeah, I've dealt with that. Here's what I did. And some people are like, here's what I did, and it turned out terrible. Don't do it. And sometimes here's what I did, and it turned out great. Right. Um, and the fact yeah. that they're around you, the proximity, and it's easy to have these kind of informal conversations, but they're valuable. Very much, yeah. And, and, so, yeah. and that's probably something you didn't anticipate. No, I um, I actually belong to another um, group. I'm a client of something called Strategic Coach, which is a lot of – uh, same thing, entrepreneurs coming together. And one of the things they say is the most valuable thing that comes out of it is the opportunity to interact. And we meet once a quarter. I mean, this is every day. Right. Um, and so it's a totally different level. Um, and it's it's a, you can see a difference even from that. Right, just, just being, being around other kind of entrepreneurs that yep. are not doing the exact same thing, but similar. Similar, starting small companies, working in the, sort of the same circles of investors mm -hmm. or in sometimes similar fields. Sometimes you learn something from a totally different field. Right. And um, that's useful that you can too. apply. You can apply, right. So now for you, um, are you here in ATDC right now? We are. We're on the second floor just around the corner. And then is this in your growth, you have more people than obviously you started? And sure. Yeah. So we've worked with, try to keep the company fairly small because we, we, um, outsource the construction, actual construction work because it's lumpy business and you might need 30 people for a month and then you don't need them, et cetera. Right. Um, engineering, we use a variety of different engineers so that we can get differing opinions and they have different levels of expertise. And manufacturing, we manufacture about 45 minutes away uh, through uh, a contract manufacturer that does our work there. So 
principally we've got our design and engineering and sales function within our company, and then the other pieces are located outside. Right. And then for you, um, who's the perfect client? Uh, anybody with a ton of money. That's it? Really great. Just yeah. rich people? Yeah, yeah. No. Um, actually, the, 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 this group strategic coach, the guy that runs it, says his, his uh, perfect client is wealthy people who are slow learners, so they stay <laughs> along for a long time. So not but no, smart, it, rich people. In our case, our market really is the best where it's a challenging environment with wind or snow or seismic conditions. Our structure, um, based because of the IP, enables it to be a, a, incredibly strong but fairly lightweight as you might imagine good engineers might come up with. Right. Um, and so the harder it is to build, we're actually able to build in places like Portland, Maine. You probably wouldn't think would be great for solar, but it is. Right. Uh, if you can get something that can stand up to the wind and snow that's going on up there. Um, and so, or, you know, as we're looking in Puerto Rico, South Florida, we have designs that can, la- you know, survive 179 mile an hour winds. And there's really nothing else out there that can. Are be they there. on top of buildings? Where are they located? Uh, on surface, on surface lots, um, but based on the design and some of the work we've done in winter. So they're on the ground. Uh, you can drive under them. They're about uh-huh. you know car car roof height, 13, 15 feet up. Something. And like then that. so then those are all wherever that's available. That space. Yeah. And then so the, yeah. who somebody owns the space and they're trying to kind of right. create revenue. From so you've got a site owner there and they may get revenue from having covered parking. They may like the covered parking because it's shaded, but then they're also generating power, which either they're consuming themselves or selling back to the utility. It depends mm-hmm. on how the utility structures the financial arrangement and what's most economically advantageous for that customer. So now do you uh, like how do you find your customers? Um, so we really support um, the folks that do that. It, it works a lot like building a building. There's a general contractor. Um, and in our business, it's called Engineering Procurement and Construction, or an EPC. And so really, we supply racking systems to the EPCs who are out you know, talking to folks that own parking lots or parking decks and are looking for, for power. So now uh, they have a parking deck. So th- mm-hmm. previously, it might have just been the parking deck, and now you're just adding this element to it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, as an example... Um, the Georgia, Are there any here in Atlanta? Yeah, I was, I was going to say the Georgia yeah. World Congress Center. Actually, we have one on there. We have about we produce about half the power from Mercedes Benz Stadium. Really? Uh, yeah, and just so, from that. Yeah, well, for the for yeah, it's about half the solar power that they consume. So right. I, I don't know what percentage of total power is consumed, but about half the solar is produced on a system that's held on our racks, uh, and it's actually at a Georgia World Congress Center parking lot. But Southern Company actually owns the rack. Mm-hmm. So Southern Company actually owns the rack and provides the power to. Mercedes-Benz from that system. So that's kind of like you have, you know, sometimes the person who owns the lot and the person who owns the system are different people. And the person who owns the system is leasing the air above the parking space. Like that's a pretty common model we see. Um, We also see where... So you had to learn all that stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and unfortunately, we we spent so much time working with customers through customer discovery and a technique that's actually taught here at ATDC. Um, that we learned all that from our customers on how that worked and how we could be helpful, what the industry standards were by, for racking companies and how it worked and what they wished would be better. Right. Uh, we can use all that in our business And that's model. why you elevated so then they can, the, the lot's still functional right. as it was, and this is just kind of a bonus. Right. Really what we're trying to do is put solar energy n- near where it needs to be consumed. And it's tricky to put them in cities and urban areas because right. there's not open space. Uh, and then and, the shade yeah. of the buildings probably comes And the shade the of the right. buildings is tricky, too. Um, and so what we've done is we've said, okay, you know, parking lots and parking decks have open space that's already being used, but we can get a second use out of it as a miniature power plant. Right. Uh, and that's really good for the utility companies in general because 
they were the places where the most load in the most demanding times, which are summer afternoons, um, that's where it's the hardest for the power plant to keep up with demand. And so any additional power they get, that happens to also be when the sun's shining the right. best, um, is really good for solar from that perspective. Now, you mentioned South Florida, like the hurricane and winds that can yep. withstand? Yeah, so um, it's interesting. Um, our CTO actually also works at Rocky Mountain Institute, which is a think tank uh, for renewable energy in general. And he just published a big white paper on all the reasons why systems uh, survived or failed in the hurricanes that hit Puerto Rico and the Caribbean about a year ago, um, and just looked at all those systems to see what was going on. And fortunately, he, that's like his PhD is in that, the right. failure of structural systems uh, in solar. And so um, a lot of our stuff that comes in our design addresses those concerns. So uh, it was interesting reading his white paper and thinking, I hope he didn't find something else wrong that <laughs> really? we haven't thought of. Heavy surprises. Yeah, yeah, and there weren't, which was good. So um, that's been, you know, in our DNA, I think, for a long time from a design standpoint. And he came from Georgia Tech over to our company. Uh -huh. So he was one of the original researchers as well. So then when they build the structure and, and put the solar panels in there, the w there's space for wind to go through, I guess. There is, yeah. We do a couple of things. Um, we've done some special work, uh, really extensive work in wind tunnels, to understand, I mean, if you imagine like a forest of trees, the trees on the end take a real beating from the wind and the ones in the middle get some protection. Right. And so we're actually able to do things like make designs that are more robust on the ends or have fewer panels um, and then are bigger in the middle because we know how the wind functions right. um, in those cases. Um, we also look at using um, solar panels um, to shade one another from wind, so like a rooftop versus them all pointing in one direction right. and how that may actually protect and keep the wind flowing over the top versus creating a big wing, uh, things like that. And then so when you're doing it in urban environments, so mm -hmm. you have trees are an issue, but buildings are an issue. Yep. And Yeah. And There's a really interesting, this one we did in Portland, Maine, is about 200 yards from the ocean. So it has lots of salt spray and lots of snow and lots of wind. And it's in this alley of buildings. And if you, you know walked in the middle of downtown and cities before, Sometimes where the buildings come in, it just creates kind of this jet. Right. And the northern part of that parking deck is a jet. And you have to know that from the, you know, taking some local wind measurements to know you need to build that part that's affected by the jet in a different way to deal right. with it. So um, we look at that also. Um, and then so like you're on Google Earth and finding mm -hmm. the good spots? Or? Yeah. So what happens is customers usually call and we talk to them a little bit about it. Uh, we assess whether or not our system is going to be good for them. And honestly, like if it's not, our system works so much differently that like I have the phone numbers of other racking companies that do different things. I'll just give them the phone number uh -huh. of a quote unquote competitor. So it could yeah. work if they had a different system. Yeah. System. And so we'll send them to whoever, right. whoever works. If it works for us, then we'll go and do, we'll do a layout and we use some special software to kind of figure out how all that works. And then we have a conversation with them and say, okay, here's some different approaches we think we could take here. What do you think? And inevitably, inevitably, we find out, oh, well, the way we need to connect to the uh, grid is this way. And so this design makes more sense or whatever. And so we'll do that with them. Can you do Do you have to send a body there to do it or you can do it all virtually? We can almost always do it virtually. But before we really finalize, we send somebody up just to make sure that there's not something there that's not on right. Google Earth or right. Um, but you can tell pretty quickly, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, th it's so much more efficient now with, like, a Google Earth file. I mean, people f forward Google Earth images <laughs> all the time back and forth, and it's crazy how good the resolution is. Right. 
the ability to see how tall a tree is and where the shadows are going right. to be, you know, to do that kind of analysis um, is radically different from the way it was in the past. So that helps yeah. in the selling of this, right? Because you can give them information pretty quickly. Yeah, and the software enables actually you to determine how much power is going to get produced each year based on like 100 years worth of weather data. It's usually calculated, you know, found within a couple of miles of where that location mm -hmm. is. Um, and I mean, down to where the thickness of the wire you select between different components drives the efficiency of the system, which is kind of outside of our scope, but we can send a common file to our customers and say, okay, now you change your wire thicknesses and all that stuff and figure out exactly how many watts you're going to get. So now getting back to um, GTRC, yeah. is it something, now that you got this thing going, are you going back to their website or you're, it just heads down You right know, we now? haven't been, but now that you mentioned it, I should. Um, <laughs> so I think I will um, to see what else is going on in the space. There is a lot going on in renewable energy here right, this at is probably just Incredible amounts of stuff. There are three companies in ATDC working on renewable energy products. There are a number working, probably more than that, working on smart grid Mm -hmm. uh, products. And so, so you find ways to collaborate? We do. We, you know, we... Um, you stay yeah. in your lane, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, somebody's working in hydro. Somebody else is working on higher output modules um, or solar panels. We're working on racking. Um, then folks are working on uh, handling, you know, one of the things that's challenging about renewable energy is it's producing power, not at a power plant. So the power's got to run in the opposite direction. Get, right. And um, that's sort of out of my sphere of knowledge for sure um, but folks that are working on that that are understanding how to make that a two-way system both uh, mechanically and also economically so it makes sense for everyone now for you as a ceo are you um kind of you feel like you're not the smartest person in the room when it comes to a lot of this stuff but you just connect the dots um yeah it's actually funny i think um there are certain things i know how to do that are uh, more business oriented and business structure that I know really well. And then we've got folks that are, you can say, I've got this problem, design me a thing right. that fixes it, which is, I mean, when it's not your sort of type of intelligence is always like amazing to watch, you know, somebody who's good at that. Right. And then we've got folks that are good at really understanding what customers are saying under what they're saying. Um, and so it takes smart in a lot of different ways. Right. Um, and that's been kind of interesting for me to understand as I've worked on this, there's a, a much broader definition of intelligent um, there's than I think I've anticipated in life. There's there's this technical intelligence that like amazes me. Um, there's uh, people skills that are amazing. And then there's sort of organizational and structural skills that are also there. There's just a lot of different types of uh, smart you need to tie into to make a good business. And that you probably find at the ATDC every day, right? Oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> I made some joke about a, uh, a friend of mine is going to go work for a company called Numerator. And I said, oh, well, those guys always end up on top. Right. And here, like, everybody gets <laughs> right. that. But, like, people are like, I don't get it. And you're like, oh, yeah, I, I work in a place <laughs> where you, know, you can take math ditto jokes and they're funny. <laughs> right. um, so, uh, yeah. And um, for you, when you're uh, marketing this, are you going to trade shows or conferences speaking? Like, how are you getting the word yeah, out? Yeah, we do a little bit of everything. We do a lot of um, – we have an incredible marketing team. Um, so we, have, we get placed in like, every major trade magazine we get covered. And we do that as a benefit for our customers too because right. – they they sell one and then they want to show people hey here's I, I really it did it like and people it, said right. it because yeah. a lot of times they want to know that it's out there in the wild too, yeah right? it's existing and also like it's working you know like won an said. editor's <laughs> choice award or whatever <laughs> right. right yeah um, and so 
we do a lot of work there. We do a good bit of trade shows, although it's funny is over the years, we've made our booths smaller and smaller and just end up meeting with people we know. Right. This industry is incredibly um, friendly. And I think that's because everybody knows they're doing something good, good for the world, right. right? And so everyone's like, well, you know, hopefully I do well and hopefully you do well. But if, even if we only do a little well, we've done something good. And right. so um, even our, you know, our competitors, you can go to their booth and say, hey, what is going on? What are you guys working on these days? And they'll tell you. Right. Um, you know, and so uh, or other folks in the industry, they're, they're always looking for ways to work together. It's a neat industry from that perspective. So now what do you need more of? Are you getting another round of funding? Like where are you at? Yeah, um, we're actually um, getting ready to this design was originally meant to be a really efficient system for utility scale, um, giant power plants. But for us to start, we really needed to be in a higher margin, more uh, less scale required business and carports and uh, were a more efficient design for us. We've learned what we need to learn to go out and do this ground mount work now. And so we're actually starting to talk to some global oil companies that do, you know, we've done uh, six or seven megawatts of solar in the existence of our company. Mm -hmm. One of their projects is 230 megawatts. Right. <laughs> um, it's a much smaller, narrow margin. You really have to know what you're doing in this space, right. but we've been able to take this time to learn that. And so now we're seeing like a natural evolution to this product to what it's originally intended to do. Mm -hmm. um, we're able to now support the business model that lets us scale it in a really massive way. So we're in the middle of conversations with those folks about how we're going to do the development over the next nine months or so because they have so that'll be like a, so that'll allow you to be customer funded if you can yeah. pull that off yeah yeah rather than get yeah of course the customers don't actually want to pay for it either <laughs> but um, uh, yeah but we we do we um, you know we they, they see the value in it and mm -hmm. and so different a lot of uh, three of the like kind of major global oil companies are interested. Um, this lesser known electric car company um, <laughs> that, no um, this other electric car company um, is interested in a couple of other big um, big players that are in the solar space that wouldn't be household names but are big players right. have all said oh well if you can deliver this product yeah we want it um, and so we've demonstrated we can make it a thing we just um, are now in the process of figuring out when we need to get it, where we need to get it. And it, th that industry is a global industry. So it could be that we need it in India, we need it in Australia, right. or we need it, you know. So as much as making it is making it where and getting it there and making sure it's got the right quality, um, that it's got the right governmental approvals and standards for those markets, um, which is a different type of business problem. So that we've got the structure down. Now we can deal with the other types right. of business problems you see. Now, if somebody wants to learn more, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Um, website? Yeah, website's always good, www.questrenewables.com. Um, and there's an info box, which we read all the time. So, like, it's really quick. <laughs> um, and so you'll get a response within a day um, from there if you have any questions about that. Well, good stuff. Thank you for Thanks. sharing your story. Now, Terry, if somebody wants to learn more about your work, what's the best way to get a hold of you guys? Um, so certainly uh, they can reach out to our website, which is uh, www.industry.gatech.edu. Um, and you can uh, find links to search our database of available technologies. Uh, contact me or uh, someone on my team if there's something that you find that is of particular interest to you. Um, just reach out to us. And then that's the same if there's an industry that wants to kind of browse they mm -hmm. can browse and see if there's anything interesting for them but if they have a, a challenge they might could reach out as well right absolutely yeah i'm i'm always talking about both sides of, of our uh, house so to speak and 
Uh, certainly by purview is getting things out the door that have been created already, but equally we want to get new uh, companies interested in sponsoring research projects at Georgia Tech. So either scenario, uh, feel free to reach out and, and we'll uh, you know, see if there's a good match. And then if um, you also do a lot of education about IP as well, right? We do. We get out on campus um, as much as possible and also to uh, uh, affiliated uh, organizations. So we're giving presentations, either me or someone on my team is, is talking to, to classes, faculty meetings. Um, you know, I meet with um, folks in administration, deans, associate deans, that kind of thing. Uh, Finn and I were on a panel a couple months ago uh, here at ATDC, which I thought went really well. Yeah. I thought it was a really yeah. good discussion. Uh, very well attended and had a lot of really great questions from the audience, um, both for what we do on, on the licensor side, but also uh, from the licensee right. perspective as well. And then, Finn, you were pleased with how everything went, obviously. Yeah, very much. Um, it's actually, I was thinking about it like in, you know, anytime we have a meeting at Quest, we, try, we talk about what you do immediately following that meeting. What's the first thing you're going to go do? And I was thinking if you're listening to this, in the time that you've listened to this, you could get on the the GTRC website and just see what's there just out of right. curiosity because it is it's incredible a uh, to see what's getting done like here in Atlanta um, but also it may just spark a really cool business idea for you but you better hurry if there's solar in the name <laughs> right because well, I'm be, gonna go look this afternoon be, so <laughs> <laughs> well thank you both so much for sharing your story oh absolutely Thanks, pleasure yeah uh, this is Lee Cantor for Stone Payton. We will see you all next time on ATDC Radio.